0: I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at IKAR in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. In the beginning, that's where we are, we're in the beginning of the Torah, the Torah begins with those words, famously, in the beginning and we're also at the beginning of the cycle of reading through the entire torah the yearly cycle where we look at one reading a week that's called the parsha and through the year we we read the entire torah and this this first reading this in the beginning reading is is bereshit it's called bereshit and the big story in bereshit is the garden of eden the famous story classic right probably know some of the basics. There's a woman, there's a man, there's a snake, and the snake tempts them to eat some fruit, some forbidden fruit. Now, this story has such prominence in our culture, in part due to, you know, Christianity, uh, that we have certain associations we we associate it with with sin the fall of man the great sin and also i think we as we know of certain interpretations that that suggest that the sin in question was sexual that that really what the forbidden fruit was the thing that they weren't supposed to taste and that they tasted was sex sexuality and and that was the fall and that that's why man is so sinful So those are some, I think, classic associations out there. Now, in the Jewish tradition, would we say that that is true, that this is a story of sin and sex? Well yes, in a way, but in a very different way. And in order to unlock the story in the Jewish tradition, we're going to need to pay attention to two things. The, The Hebrew language, which I'm going to try to help clue us into. That isn't said to say we need to know Hebrew, but we need to know what's going on in the original. And we need help from the commentators. There's a tradition of commentators who have been analyzing this story throughout the century, and we're going to look at one of the most famous of those commentators today. So I want to just start moments before these two new human beings ate the forbidden fruit, when they've just been created, and they're standing there and... The Torah tells us, this is at the end of chapter 2 of Genesis, the Torah says, Vayushnehem arumim ha'adam The two of them, there they were, and the two of them were naked. Pay attention to that word, arumim, they were naked, Adam and his wife, and they felt no shame. Okay, so that's that's an interesting reflection for the Torah to be making so early on, thinking about bodies and shame and why you might feel shame, but they didn't feel shame. But I asked you to pay a special attention to the word for naked. Arum is the word. Okay, so they're standing there, arum, they're standing there naked. Now, that's the last line in chapter 2. Now, take a look at the first line in chapter 3. This is the very next line in the Torah, okay? Vahanachash haya okay. arum mikol chayat hasadeh asher asa Hashem alokim. Now, the snake was the shrewdest of all the wild beasts that the eternal God had made. Okay? All of a sudden, we're talking about this snake, and the first thing we know about the snake is that the snake was shrewd, clever, full of guile. But what is the word that we use to describe this trickster? The, the word for shrewd? It's arum. Now, that, if you've been listening, is the same word that means naked in the last the two of them were Arum, naked, and all of a sudden, new story, the snake comes along and the snake was Arum, shrewd. Okay, so there's some connection there. On the one hand, we might say, well, okay, that's a homonym. We we know that. Sometimes languages have one word that can mean two different things. But here in these early chapters of the Torah, when the Torah is really just introducing its own language to have Two usages of the same word, one after the other. That's not a coincidence. There's a link being suggested here. This is the way the language of the Torah works. The Torah is playing with linguistic connections. And here, the Torah is trying to suggest some connection between the arum of their nakedness and the arum of the snake's shrewdness. In other words, the snake was shrewd in a way that had something to do with their nakedness. Okay, so that's a connection that I think that the Torah is pretty clearly trying to suggest just on its own, on the plain text. And I am, of course, not the first to notice this. I learned over time to appreciate the richness of the Torah's language from the classical commentators. I mentioned them before and here I want to show you how the most famous of all the commentators picks up on this same connection between these these two usages of the word arum and then uses a rabbinic legend to make meaning of it. So the commentator is the famous Rashi. Now Rashi's Rashi's a big deal in the world of of parshanut of Torah commentary. Rashi's uh 11th century French scholar and his name is like It's like Shakespeare in in English departments. He's the famous name, and he was famous for for his commentary, but his commentary is actually a kind of a compilation of earlier legends, rabbinic legends. And here he brings one to explain the appearance of the snake and, in particular, this, this usage of the word arum coming just after another usage of the word arum. This, he says, is to teach you that what motivated the snake to pounce upon them is that otam arumim. he saw them naked b'tashmish le'ain kol v'nitavala. and he saw them coupling, having sex, out there in front of everyone. I guess that's the way they did it back in the garden. And the snake felt desire for Eve, nitavala. So that's the explanation for the snake's entrance into the scene. Just after hearing that Adam and Eve were naked, that they were a room. So the linguistic connection is the clue. What What is it that, that the snake suddenly sees and and wants to get involved in? He was fixated on their nakedness, says this rabbinic story. He desired it. Maybe he felt left out. And that, that was what motivated him to, to get crafty, to get shrewd about it. Okay, so now... Now we're imagining big, lusty reptiles coveting human women. That This is actually, if you go back in these rabbinic legends, it's called Midrash, you'll see that there are stories of how the snake was as tall as as a person. Taller, stood up on its hind legs because remember the snake only gets cursed later with, uh, with having to go on, around on its belly. Just wild stuff. You have this sort of like, you know, reptile monster creature coming along wanting to sleep with Eve because he's jealous that Eve's having sex with Adam right out there in the public square. But here's what's really important about it. We are talking about sex. The rabbinic interpretation of this story sees sex and sexuality in the tale, but now it's an entirely different framing of that tale because it isn't Adam and Eve all naked and innocent. They're they're, they're these non-sexual beings who become corrupted with the knowledge of sex. No, in in this image, they're already sexual, and and, and they are innocent, but what's innocent about them is that they feel no shame around their sexuality, around their bodies. They were were sexual pre-shame. That's then what the snake lured them into, that that fruit of knowledge, because remember, it's the tree of knowledge of good and bad, is the knowledge that there is good and bad Kinds of sexual experiences. Sex can be beautiful and joyous and free, but it can also be dangerous and exploitative and full of deceit. And the snake represents the the forces in sex that one has to be careful about: jealousy and objectification, predatory sex, manipulation. And the snake gets in the way of Adam and Eve and and inserts himself, inserts this poisonous element, this venom into their sexuality. And that's why when they eat the, the fruit and they get that knowledge, the first thing the Torah says that happens is, v'yedu ki arumimhem. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and suddenly they knew that they were naked. That same, same word again. And they sewed together fig leaves and they made themselves loincloths. So again, they see their their nakedness, but they had been naked before, but now they have knowledge of their nakedness. Now they know that there's something about their their nakedness that has has some potential for shame, that is vulnerable, that others are are looking at, that they have to protect. They suddenly become aware of their bodies and aware of their sexuality, self-aware and ashamed, embarrassed. You know, it's awkward. They, They cover themselves. So this is a tragedy and now they're gonna have to deal with all the questions that we all have to deal with when we lose our innocence around our bodies and our desires and we begin to wonder how how do I relate to my sexuality And, and who do I feel safe sharing it with? Sex becomes this complicated perilous thing and even as it continues to define our humanity, we begin to hide parts of it from the world. And that I think the Torah is saying is a tragedy. It's a tragedy, but it's a, it's a common human tragedy. It's, it's a tragedy that everybody goes through sometime after puberty, t- trying to come to terms with the, the dark and the light, the good and the evil in sexuality. And it's a larger tragedy. That's the tragic struggle of, of humanity trying to figure out how to live in healthy relationship with our bodies and with our desires. And I, I, I don't think we've done that yet. I think we're really still struggling as a culture to to be a, a okay and accepting and, and unashamed of our bodies and of our sexuality and still know how to protect that sexuality from the dangers that come about when jealousy and manipulation and power dynamics are entering into the picture. So that that also I think it helps explain how this story is uh, has a God hovering over it who doesn't want them to eat from the fruit. And like what, what is God doing in this story? I always wondered Gods God puts the fruit there and then and then punishes them for eating it. but really God is like the parent in this story and just like the parents want their kids on some level to stay innocent and unashamed uh, forever and certainly of their bodies. So God here represents that thing that parents want for their kids and that thing we kind of want for ourselves, which is that that sex could just be joyous and uncomplicated. But once we eat the fruit and we realize how complicated sex can be, that's it. We can't go back. And so then we have to spend a long time trying to figure out how to have a good, healthy, adult relationship to sex. And I think that maybe... Adam and Eve actually do figure that out because the, the next chapter of the Torah, chapter four, begins, Yada et chava. and Adam knew Eve. Now, knew biblically, right? A lot of people know that to know in, in, in the Torah is a euphemism for sex. So Adam had sex with Eve, but Adam knew her is the language that the Torah uses. It means to say that sex, it has to be a kind of knowledge of someone, and, and so being sexually intimate with someone involves knowing them on a deep level. That's what sex is supposed to be. So the story of the Garden of Eden is, is really, it's, it's like a coming of age story. It's, it's like about the coming of age that every individual human being has to go through, of discovering their bodies, their sexuality, their what it means to live in their body and in their sexuality in the world. And also it's, it's a story of the coming of age of, of humanity. Uh, I, again, I'm, I'm not sure we fully awakened to that. If we fully matured as, as a culture around sexuality. And it's going to take many years for, for most people to figure out their relationship to their own sexuality. And so it, it, it will take humanity many, many, many years to figure out a healthy relationship to sexuality. But I, I think the Torah wants us to do that. I think the Torah is encouraging us to do that when it reminds us that the way it originally was is that we were naked and unashamed. So the, the the Torah is exploring this here. It's not a simple morality tale with a simple lesson: sex is bad. No, it's it's about how complicated sex is and 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 uncertain and 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 fraught with with fear and doubt, but also with excitement and desire. But that's why this is the first story in the Torah. It's the story of the the childhood of humanity, and it ends as these humans gain a kind of adult consciousness, or at least a a teenager consciousness, where it's starting to become clear what the stakes are, but it's all still so confusing, this, this, uh, this just being a human being with a human body. But it's important and relevant for every human being to confront that question, and this story asks us to do so that's that's the kind of torah I'm interested in, one that's that's complex and daring and a, and a little bit messy because it's subject the human being ha Adam is complex and and sometimes daring and often messy. so come with me on this journey and we're gonna get into the the messy torah the the naked Torah, the unashamed Torah. We're going to go week by week, look at these readings, these classical readings, but we're going to look at them with the depth and sensitivity to the Hebrew language and with the help of the classical Torah commentators.